Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Linda. Forty minutes, I don't know. What an order. I can't go through with it. Um, Linda, compulsive reader, bulimic. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, I haven't spoken in a long time, but I'll, I'll tell you what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I probably won't speak for 40 minutes, but then you can ask questions, but we'll see how it goes. Anyway, um, a little bit about my background. I was born in Chicago and came here when I was four. My dad had come ahead of us to look for a job and to look for an apartment, and my mom and I followed. And we had no family. My mother left her, her mother, her sisters, her family behind. My father left his family behind to come out here. So it was just a very little family. And um, that was one of my worst fears, actually, was just to be out here with no family and if anything happened, whatever. But anyway, so it was just the three of us. And, and seven years, seven and a half years later, my sister was born. So I have a younger sister. And we, I grew up, we, we moved to the Los Feliz area, went to Los Feliz Grammar School, then moved to West, kind of West Hollywood area, went to Bancroft Junior High, Fairfax High School, and that was where I grew up. But as far as what the food thing used to be like, I was thin as a child. I don't remember having an issue with food. I remember strange things like having my tonsils out and wanting rye bread crust, which doesn't make sense, really, if you have your tonsils out. <laughs> but, um, but what happened to me was I, I, in high school or right after high school, I started being around a lot of people that were very conscious about what they looked like, how much they weighed, and it was all about the outsides, really, more than the inside. So I started taking diet pills when I had maybe five pounds to lose, very little weight, because I wanted to be thin and I wanted to look good and I wanted to fit in. And I started getting diet pills from my, from my gynecologist. And um, what I have to say about that was diet pills led me to all the other drugs I ever took. It started with, I remember hearing, you know, on TV that grass was, you know, marijuana would lead you to heroin. Well, diet pills led me to everything, not to heroin, but it led me to lots of other stuff, uppers, downers, um, crazy stuff. And and it always because I wanted to be thin and I wanted to look good. And, um, and I worked in the entertainment business. I worked around a lot of people that, you know, were pretty on the outside and I just wanted to be like them. So I started taking diet pills, and my life was very unmanageable. I mean, I was one of those people. Some people say, you know, they felt great on diet pills. They cleaned their house on diet pills. They loved diet. The minute I took them, I got depressed, and um, they never made me feel good, but I never stopped taking them. Anyway, um, diet pills was one way that I kept my weight off, but then I learned how to be a bulimic, and so... I would eat as much as, and I was a quantity, I know I was a 
quantity eater, so I would eat the whole of this. And the, I mean, I was not someone that had one cookie or one piece of cake or one bite. It was like all or nothing. And food, it wasn't just food, because I, I combined food with, with alcohol and food with marijuana and food with everything. And my, my life was just unmanageable. And I started going to different places and different people to figure out what was wrong with me. I went to a lot of different therapists and I took EST. I'm sure some of you took EST. And the only thing that I learned about EST was that um, you should ride the horse in the direction it's going. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and you should be on time because when you're not on time, it screws other people up. And um, a after I assi assisted at one of their events, all I wanted to do was go on a binge, and I went on a binge, and I got a few blocks from my house, and I hit some parking meters, and bounced off the curb, went home, and called someone, and she said, I think you're an alcoholic, so I went to AA. And I'm going to jump around a little bit, but, so I went to AA, but I never believed I was an alcoholic, and I, but I'll go back to OA. What happened with OA was, um, <coughs> I was living in a single apartment on Oakhurst. I looked, in, I looked this was 1972. I looked in the mirror one day, well, I looked in the mirror a lot of times, but this particular day, I, I looked in the mirror and I really couldn't see myself at all. I was so out of touch with Linda, and I remember saying, God help me. I always believed in God, um, but I never thought coming to OA was, would be based on a spiritual way of life and and believing in a power greater than myself, because when I came here, I wanted to just lose 10 pounds. But anyway, I, I looked in the mirror and I said, God help me. And I had a piece of paper with a woman's name on it that a man I had worked for had given me who he had never been to. And somehow he had the name of this woman. Her name was Elizabeth Palms. And I went to see her and um, to talk about my eating disorder, my life, everything. And she put me in her group. And that was in 1972. And in her group were people that were in OA and AA. That was two things I had never tried. I had tried fasting. I had tried pills. I had tried shots. I had tried colonics. I had tried all the books that ever came out about dieting. Because to me, from my personal experience, whether it's 5 pounds, 20 pounds, or 100 pounds, if, you're, if I'm obsessed with food, which I was, it just took up so much time about thinking about it, talking about it, looking for a remedy, feeling guilty about it. And it was like a vicious circle. So anyway, I got into this group, and in that group were people that were in OA. And I was taken to my first meeting on Crescent Heights and Olympics. And I remember, I remember how I felt. And I sat in that meeting. I don't remember everything I heard, but I remember hearing people share their experience, strength, and hope, and share their... Um, recovery and share their thoughts and I totally identified with the feelings and um, I started I got a sponsor and I started getting abstinent and I picked a sponsor I had different sponsors but I remember one particular sponsor our lives were completely different I was out in the Hollywood world she was married with kids and she would you know not in the Hollywood world and she would invite me for dinner and I would go over there and and I remember her name is because it's been many, many years. And I don't even think she's in OA anymore. I, I know she had left OA. I don't know if she ever came back. But, but she had given me a lot. And um, 
And I started that journey in OA. And my life began to get better. It was 1972. I had therapy. I was in a relationship that was okay, not fantastic, but better than a lot prior to that. I was working for one of the heads of Warner Brothers, and I was going to OA. But the day came where I just decided I could do it myself. And I came in and out of these rooms for, from 1972. When 1974, I took EST. Then I hit those meters. Then I went to AA. Then I was in AA for a while, and a friend of mine said, you're not an alcoholic. And I said, you're right, and I left. And, um, he wasn't in any program. He was just a friend of mine. And, um, and I came in and out of these rooms from 1972 to 1978. My life was totally unmanageable. Different therapies, different groups, in and out, trying to get abstinent. Um, trying to get so sober, not believing that I was, I, would, I thought maybe I was one of those people that was constitutionally incapable of being honest with herself because I just couldn't get it and I couldn't stay here because I came here to lose weight. I didn't come here to look on the inside to change my ways, to, even though I did want to change my ways, but I came here to lose weight. I didn't know it was about changing your life completely, your thoughts, your actions, and so I came in and out. In 1978, I was sitting in a different apartment looking in a different mirror. It might have been the same mirror, a different apartment. <laughs> and I remember saying, God, help me. And two things I wasn't going to do that day was eat or drink. And if some friends came over. We went to the Mustache Cafe, which is no longer there. And I saw this girl kind of flitting around from table to table, and she's dead today. And, I, and from the outside looking in, it looked like she was having fun. And from the inside out, you know, I, I knew how she felt because I had a moment. I, I was going into the bathroom to get rid of the food, to come back out, to go back in, come back out. And I had a moment of clarity where I thought, you know, from the outside, it looks like I'm really having fun. And from the inside, I'm dying. And no one comes up to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, I bet you're dying on the inside. <laughs> because we know how to act like everything's okay. So I, I came back, and I got a sponsor who worked both the AAOA program. The first thing she said to me was, and she was a firecracker, and she was tough. And, and we used to say, we didn't have self-worth, we had Joan Worth. Her name was Joan Worth. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and the first thing she said was about being a bulimic, you can, it's crazy behavior, you can never do that again, it's over. And I stopped that day. <laughs> I stopped. I totally believe that God talks through people. I, I really think that. And... I heard her. I just heard her, and I stopped, and that was 1978, and September 30th, this coming, 1970, uh, this coming year, I'll have 41 years. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. And it's not about, so I came here, and I finally admitted the first step that I was powerless. That was the hardest thing to admit, because I thought I had all the power to make things happen, find a job, do this, do that. But my, I had to admit that I was powerless over food and that my life was unmanageable. I had to get honest, and that was the first step. And the second step, it says, we come to believe in a power greater than ourselves. And this room is a power greater than myself. You know, um, 
And so I came to believe there was a power that was greater than me that I could turn to for help. And every day I got to get on my knees, I got on my knees, I get on my knees, and I say, God, keep me clean and sober and abstinent. And every night I thank God, no matter what, no matter where I'm at, who I'm with, what I'm doing, I do that. The third step says um, we turn our life over. Well, what does that mean, we turn our life over? Well, it means, you know, I can take the action to find a job, to, in any area of my life, I can take, do the footwork, but if, if it's a struggle and if it's hard, then I believe that's my will. And this is what I've learned for myself. And if it comes easily or if it falls into place, not easily, but if things fall into place, then I believe it's God's will. And so I've been living my life like that. And the fourth step says, you're as sick as your secrets. So I wrote down my secrets and still do that. And I, I tell them to somebody. I share them at a meeting. I talk to my sponsor. I, I talk about it. You know, I had a secret the other day. I did something that wasn't good, and um, I needed to make amends for that. And I needed to send a, a check in to somebody and tell them I was, you know, make amends. And I did it, and I felt good about it afterward. And it's easy to rationalize and say, no, this doesn't matter. I don't have to do it. But you know what? If I, my sponsor told me years and years ago in the beginning that life is, this was her opinion, that life is like a garden. And if you plant potatoes, you're not going to get roses. You're going to get potatoes. And you, if you plant roses, you're going to get roses. But if you wake up one day and your garden has a lot of weeds, you put them there. And if you have too many weeds, you're not going to make it. So that analogy stuck with me. And I know that if I do try to get away with too many things, and I like to get away with a lot of things. I really do. But if I try to get away with too many things, I'm, I'm not happy. I don't sleep at night. It catches up to me. I can't live like that anymore. And that's what happens in the program, for me anyway, that <clears throat> by working the steps, working with a sponsor, coming to meetings, we get to change our way of life. We get to do things differently. We get to think things differently. At least that's what's happened to me. It's been a slow process. It doesn't happen in one day, one week, one month, or one year. <clears throat> it happens over a period of time. The fifth step is I read my secrets to someone, and I get in touch with my character defects, which I got to talk about with this sponsor today. And why I picked this sponsor was because she has less time than me, and it doesn't matter. I picked her because <clears throat> she's, I heard about her before I came to this, back to OA. I heard that she was this darling English lady, girl, and I love English people, but that's not why I picked her. <laughs> I picked her because she's in the middle of the herd. She sponsors lots of people. She, she goes to workshops. She takes commitments left to my own devices, and it's happened before in lots of areas of my life. You know, I could slip away, and I know that. I know things can get good, and I can slip away, so... To bring me back to the center, I got Susan, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I'll tell you that I've tried every single food program during this abstinence. I've gone to Howe, and it worked. I went there because I wanted a stricter food plan. Then I got tired of that, and I went to F.A. because I thought if I didn't have milk in my coffee, that would make a difference. Because <laughs> in F.A., you cannot have milk in your coffee, so I tried that for a while. I went to Gracie. If you take your scale to every single place you go to, even if it's a stranger's home for dinner, that's what they do. So I did that for a while. 
that got embarrassing sometimes. <laughs> taking your scale to restaurants, taking your scale. Anyway, I did that. So I, I tried Gratiot, I tried FA, I tried How. They all work. Every single one of the programs work if you're willing to do the work. Full circle, came back to OA, just picked a food plan that I could live with, three meals a day and living in between. And there's a lot of life in between. And a lot of shit happens. I mean, I, you know, the death of my parents, <clears throat> that was one of my worst fears. And I was telling Steve about this. That, you know, one of my worst fears was what happens when they die, and it's just me, my mom, and my sister. Well, the people that showed up for me were the people in the, these rooms and the AA rooms, and they were the pallbearers, and they were the ones that filled the room. And that meant a lot. And, you know, I went through this big legal situation a few years ago, and that was tough. And I learned how to just live in the day, live in the moment, do what's in front of me, have people write letters, show up and do the best I can. And, um, it you know, it worked out. It wasn't pleasant, but it worked out. I didn't have to eat over it. And... Um, you know, lots of stuff happens, being robbed. I remember, oh, in, in, in 1986, I was working at 20th Century Fox Studios and working for a guy that I knew socially, that I knew for years, and he got a job at Fox and he hired me, and he was a nightmare. He was screamed and yelled, and he, he today he was the kind of person you could sue mm-hmm. for that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. So I went to see Chuck C. Chuck C. lived in Laguna overlooking the ocean, He said if the ocean was scotch, there would never be enough. I could totally identify with that. He told me, I said, you know, what do I do about work? I I can't stand the situation. I don't know what to do. And he said, you go to work for fun and for free. And I said, what does that mean? You know, I go to work for a paycheck. And he said, well, it's an attitude. It's about being of service. It's doing a good job. It's being a worker among workers. So I started praying, dear God, I wish I could find a job where I could be of service and make be more self-supporting than I am now and like what I do. And, and I swear to you, it didn't take long. A very short amount of time. I went out to buy tennis shoes one day and um, at the mall, on, which is no longer there, on Pico in Overland. And I ran into this guy on the escalator. And he said, my wife bought some stuff. You should call her. I said, okay. So a few days went by. It was raining on a weekend, and I wasn't going to call her. And by the end of the weekend, for some reason, I called her, and she, I went over to see her, and she had bought some jewelry. Nothing great. She said, why don't you take this to work, and I won't cash your check and see what happens. Well, that was 1986, and I've been doing it ever since. It started with her stuff, and then it led to other stuff, and then it led to other stuff, and then a friend of mine, I'd be out to dinner with a friend of mine, go into the bathroom, I'd come back without the pin on that I was wearing. <laughs> or without the, not without the shirt, but basically, basically I almost could do that. It was like, okay, you like it, it's yours, whatever. And I was selling everywhere. I was, my girlfriend was choreographing the show Solid Gold. I'd go down there on my lunch hour. I made more in five minutes, which was $100, than I made working nine to five for $100. And so a friend of mine said, same friend that I would go to dinner with said, you should quit your job. I was doing temporary work now at Fox. I had millions of temporary jobs. And he said, you should quit your job and do this full time. You're really good at it. So I did. And um, I started approaching people that bought for TV shows and movies and turned out to be a great business for me. And that was over 30 years ago. And that was just because 
I went to see Chuck C. and he told me to pray and he, you know, and figure out what I wanted to do and to be of service. And I get to be of service in my job. It was the kind of job where they need something like in five hours, you know, not in two weeks. And I, I love doing that. So I've done that for many years. And then when I had this legal situation come up, I stopped doing that for a while, and I just started saying yes to everything. Drive Uber. Okay, I'll try it. I hate driving, but I tried it. I tried being an Uber driver. I tried Arbonne Cosmetics. I tried being a sober companion. I just said yes to everything. And now I'm back doing what I used to do, not on the same level, not as much as I used to do it. Oh, Airbnb at my house. Someone suggested it. I, I've been doing that for a few years. I have someone at my house now. And um, I love that. I love that because I learned how to be of service and to welcome people. You know, and I was the last person that wanted to be of service. My parents needed so much service that I never wanted to be of service. Uh, but we learn here. I've learned by the people that have been there for me how to be there for you. And, you know, so the sixth and seventh is to get in touch with the fear and the anger and the resentments that kill me and keep me apart from you and from a higher power and to ask for help in changing that. And it's been a long haul. And uh, the tenth step is, you know, if something happens with somebody or something, to write about it, pray about it, talk about it, let it go. The eleventh step is to pray and meditate. I always pray. I don't meditate that much. Sometimes I do, not regularly. And the 12th step is to show up, be of service, carry the message. And so it's a package deal, you know. And the best thing is that we're all in this together. I mean, none of you would be here if this didn't work. Most of us have tried everything, you know. And it's not a diet. It's a way of life. You know, sometimes my meals are bigger. Sometimes they're smaller. You know, sometimes I eat certain things. Sometimes I take them out of my food plan. I talk to someone about it. Sometimes I'm somewhere and there's too much food. I'll make a phone call to Irma and I'll go, I'm done eating. And when I do that, that means I'm done eating. Sometimes those stupid things, little things help me. You know, whatever helps you. Um, I don't know what else to tell you. It's just, I can't believe 40 years have gone by. It's like, wow. I came here in my 20s and... Life goes by, and I know one thing. I After this legal thing happened, I decided money comes. Money, I had to refinance my house because of it, and I thought, money comes, money goes. You know, friends come, friends go. I've let go of people in my life that don't mean anything to me, that aren't my friends, you know, that dry wells, that no more. And, um, and I decided to just be happy and enjoy my life and to say yes more and to do things even though they scare me and to put myself out there and to be open. I mean, I'm not getting any younger, so this is it. You know, and I, I learned a long time ago, too, in, in these rooms to abstain from negative thinking. You know, my mother would be at the door if my father was 10 minutes late calling the police almost to find out where he could be. He probably was at the park playing cards, but she was calling the police. So, I don't know. There's um, OA has been really, I love, this isn't for everybody. It certainly isn't. If it was, you wouldn't even be able to get in these rooms. They'd be filled every minute, every day, all the time. Because it's a program 
for changing your life. It's a program for living, for doing things differently. It's a program, program for giving up the things that don't work. It's a program of change. You know, they say people can't change. Well, they can. You can change your mind in two seconds. You can change your outlook and attitude in five minutes if you want to. So this is for people that want something different. And um, I came here and I wanted it. I really didn't want to just stop eating and drinking and using. I wanted a different life. I wanted to make changes. I wanted to be accountable. I wanted to learn how to be of service. I wanted to have a job that I liked, more meaningful relationships, and I get to have all that here, and I get to discuss things with people when I get afraid, and I get to ask for help, and there's always help. Maybe not from the person you think you're going to get it from, but there's help from the person next to that person. There's always help. If All I can share with you that's really helped me the most is... is to ask for help, to let people know your secrets, to not do it alone. And um, as a result, you'll get your whole life back, and it's worth it. So I'm going to open it up for, uh, for questions. Anyone have questions? What was it like talking to Chuck C? Oh, you're uh, what was it like talking to Chuck C, if I can remember? Um, it was brief. It wasn't, I mean, I think he sat in his chair. There were a lot of people there to see him. It wasn't, it wasn't, he, his house was open on certain, I think it was certain nights for anyone to come. So I just remember what he said to me, and it mattered. It made a difference. Who is Chuck C? <laughs> oh, yeah. Chuck C was somebody that had him a lot of years in AA. He wrote a book called... New pair of glasses, and um, you can get that book somewhere. You no, know, at the OA office or at the library, and and he just was a guy that helped a lot of people that a lot of people went to talk to. Can you talk about your experience with step nine? Step making amends. Oh yeah, I, I stopped after the those. I forgot about that. Okay, making amends. I, making amends for me was. Um, a, I got to be a living amends to my parents before they passed away. They got to see me, my mother got to see me start a business and help me in the beginning. My dad just got to see me be okay because um, he was older and I guess, let's see, my, he passed away in 86. I got sober in 78. So he, he got to see me be different. And um, so I got to be a living amends. I had to make amends to May Company, which is no longer there, for switching price tags. And, uh, and when I did, and I did it under the stupidest reason, I was going in for an operation. I thought I better do this so the operation comes out okay, which is a, not a good reason to do it. But anyway, ran into the woman at the, at the market, and I made the amends, whatever I was supposed to do. But I've been able to. One time, um, I remember my girlfriend's boyfriend. I was not pleasant to him, and I wrote him a letter and tried to make an amends. And it was years later that he was, I guess he was looking at his own stuff, and he responded. So sometimes making amends doesn't really work at the moment you make it, but we really do it for ourselves. And this week I had to make an amends, and it really wasn't for the other people. It was for me so that I could lay my head down on the pillow better. And it's an ongoing process. It's not like... 
And I've had to make amends to my sister, who's a younger sister, who I boss around a lot. And I've had to make amends to her for doing that. So, but the ninth step, I forgot about talking about the amends, but I try to take care of amends whenever they come up. How has your relationship with your higher power changed uh, throughout the years? Um, how has my relationship with my higher power changed? Well, in the beginning, um, I didn't exactly even know what that meant. But for me, I had my higher power. I've had to act as if a lot of times, and and um, acting as if I have faith, or acting acting as if everything's going to be okay. Um, it's just changed because I've had I've had living proof, a that I'm still here after 40 years, b I know this works. I know I can't do it by myself, and um, I've learned how to just turn things over. And I've over at different times in my life I've had a God jar where I just write to God and put it in there and just let it go. So it just has gotten stronger just by staying in the program and staying close to the fellowship and working with others and working with someone. Um, can you talk about sponsorship? How do you find a sponsor? How do you sponsor people in relationship with your sponsor? Okay. Uh, he asked if I could talk about sponsorship, how you find a sponsor. Um, I found I have found my sponsors, and there's been different ones over the years, just by either hearing them speak or hearing about them through other people. Um, that's how I've I've done it by either hearing them or other people mentioning them. Um, and I've sponsored people just if I share, someone wants what I have. Usually, you get someone who you want what they have. Um, so just by showing up at meetings and being available, you know, I, I love sponsoring. I'd like to sponsor more, actually. I've gotten to sponsor Janine, and she has a year, which she'll take a candle tomorrow. She didn't want to take one today, but that's been a privilege. And I got to sponsor her because I met her at a meeting. And we just started talking, and here we are a year later, right? <laughs> so... Ten minutes. Yay. How has um, working the program and being in recovery changed the way you approach your business? Um, she asked, how has working the program and being in recovery changed in regard to working my business? Well, it, it's the business... I'm trying to think. Well, I've just tried to practice these steps in my business. I've tried to be honest. I've tried to show up and be accountable. Not tried. I have showed up and been accountable, doing my best to be honest with others, being, being of service, being kinder to people, and not being abrupt. Um, Someone called me the other day because they wanted to return something, my least favorite thing, but we worked it out really easily and pleasantly and because I didn't try to make them wrong or it, I, wanted, I want people to be happy. And um, 
And I just learned how to show up and, and be accountable and be of service and do a good job. And I learned that here, really. I learned that here by taking commitments here and showing up and doing a good job. I've learned how to do that in the world. And I learned also how not to be a pushover and in things I did in the beginning that I would do for free, I start I stopped doing that. Because, you know, I, I remember early on someone wanted me to travel like in rush hour traffic to bring them something that they didn't end up taking. And I thought, I'm never doing that again, especially in rush hour traffic. But, yeah, just... Hi, um, thank you for your lead. Um, so, having had all these years, do two questions. One, do you still have a meal plan that you follow? And two, has the obsession um, left you? Those are good questions. When Susan and I were talking about it today, in fact, by the grace of, she wants to know, do I still have a meal plan and has the obsession left me? The obsession has left me. I don't, you know, I can't say there's a day where I might want more, but honest to God, I feel freedom from that obsession, and it was with me all the time. I, I'm not making that up. It really was. It was like the next meal, the next this, the next that, being the first person in a buffet line because, it, God forbid, by the time it got to me, there would be no food left. You know, I don't even go to buffet lines anymore. I don't like them, but, I mean, so, yes, the obsession has left me. My food plan has is three meals a day and no what what I call recreational sugar. If there's a cranberry in a salad, I don't go crazy. But I don't have cookie cake, you know, that kind of stuff unless it's sugar-free, and I rarely do that. But, you know, for a birthday or whatever, I'm not opposed to that. But it's basically three meals a day and, and no recreational sugar. And once in a while, I'll have things that I shouldn't have, like chips at a meal, and I know I shouldn't have them. And then I make a phone call and say, okay, I'm off of chips. And then I'm off of them, not forever, but for a while. But basically, it's just three salad, vegetable, protein, fruit, and some grain. That's my thing. I, I never started with snacks, so I don't have snacks. But I don't say there's anything wrong with it. I just have never done it. Hi. So when you quit recreational sugar, which sounds like crap to me, how did it feel? And how did you stay off recreational sugar? Recreational sugar, how does it feel? To not how does it feel to quit recreational sugar? It felt good to quit because it, I could never have a little bit. And honestly, I have things at my house. I have alcohol in my home. I have desserts in my home. But it's not a struggle because it's not willpower. This isn't about willpower. There's no willpower involved here. It's a decision that I made of something I'm not going to have, so I don't think about it. I don't even want it. It can be right here. It doesn't matter. You didn't have withdrawals? I don't remember having withdrawals. I mean, I might have had withdrawals. It's been a while, but... <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> What? If you could give advice to your younger self. Give advice? To your younger self. What would it be? If I gave it, I... To your younger self. Oh, to my younger self? To your younger self. Like way back then? Mm -hmm. 
Knowing what you know now. Knowing what I know now, I wish I would have gotten this sooner. Yeah. I wish I would have gotten this sooner because this way of life, for me, this way of life is beautiful. I love it. It's not difficult. I mean, it's not easy, but it's not hard either. It's like... For me, this is a spiritual program based on spiritual principles. Some people go to church. Some people meditate all day long. Some people go to temple. And I come here and I get to have these steps to help me get through the day or to get through any situation in life. I know one other situation. Oh, Anyway, just to answer your question, yes, it's hard to give up things at a young age. But we only give them up because they don't agree with us. If you, if I could have one of this or one of that, I never would have given it up. But that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted all of it. That didn't make me feel good, weight-wise and mentally and physically and always. I forgot there was something I was going to say, but it, and I forgot about it, so it must not be important. Cross slipped my mind, Jill. How has your program shifted your relationships with, um, if you're married or a partner, or if you have children? Um, how do you see the program or see how your uh, relationships change? Well, the relationship, she asked, wants want to know how my relationship has changed with either my, in my marriage and relationships with children. I, I have a stepdaughter, and she had a food issue, so we had a lot in common. My ex-husband ended up coming to Howe for a while, so we had that in common. But how it's changed in general relationships is I've gotten to be more honest. I've gotten to be more authentic. I've gotten to be more real. I've gotten to be myself and not somebody that I'm not. And that attracts similar people today. Does that answer it? Absolutely. Um, I want to thank you for coming back for 40 years and making sure these programs were here to save my life. Um, there are some people in the room who are new, and um, if you were someone who's new and doesn't have a sponsor and hasn't identified, what would you tell them? I'm not, but... Right, what okay, what she's them? saying is I, there's new people in the room, and what would I tell you if you're new? And I'm looking back to when I was new, and it took me a while of of coming and going out and coming in and going out. Because it's a different way of thinking. But I would just say to get a a sponsor, get someone that you relate to, tell them your, your deepest, darkest secrets, and ask for the help you need in the areas in your life that aren't working. And it's a process. It's, it's, you know, you don't get from one year or three months to ten years. It's an ongoing process of discovering and discarding <coughs> the things that don't work for you anymore. <coughs> Does that make sense? Anybody else? Hi. Um... Can you talk a little louder? Sure. You talked a little bit about how some friendships changed 
you know, how you let some people go and, you know, new people came into your life. Can you just talk a little more about that, that period, or is it always going on for you? I mean, I can think of one person in particular just to talk about. <clears throat> we were friends on and off at different times in our lives, and but it wasn't a healthy, it wasn't a good relationship for me. But for whatever reasons, we'd go to dinner, go to a movie, whatever, but I never felt that there was anything coming back that was making me feel good about this relationship. And honestly, you know, I had wanted God to remove this person from my life, and it happened just over a stupid thing like not going to the market for something. It was not even what it was about. And we, it just got removed. And this person lives around the corner from me, and we never even run into each other now. We were always running into each other. So I don't know. Different people at different times. I think good and bad, people come into our lives at different times for different reasons, whether it's for a day, a month, a year, forever. And they, you know, and in the program too, there's been times I've been very close to some people in the program and other times they've slipped away or our paths have gone different ways for years and then we've come back together and, you know, it's just, you know in your heart of, of hearts, regarding friendships, what feels good and what doesn't. And, you know, that's what I've looked at over the years. And I've had business relationships with people that aren't really my friends, but the people that are my friends, and there are not a lot of people that I'm real close to, but the ones I'm close to, I'm close to, and the others are just acquaintances. And as I work the program myself more and more, people slip away for whatever reasons. 